Proverbs 31. We, uh, I'm going to jump through texts we've already looked at. And first we look at verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies? Or who can find a wife of valor, a woman of valor? And so the word that's the first word there in the acrostic is wife. And so the idea is the wife herself, she is of extraordinary value. The wife of valor is of extraordinary value. Trust is the first word in the next part. And so we have betah. So the heart of her husband safely trusts in her. So he will have no lack of gain or spoil. So remember elsewhere, the only other place there's something that's an object of trust besides the Lord is trusting in covenanted brothers who were going to engage in a flanking maneuver in a prepared combat ambush. So there's trusting in covenanted brothers and trusting in your covenanted wife and the realization that she will provide you with spoil. She will work with you to make it so that you can together plunder the possessions of the wicked. There is this dominion work you do together and there is an ability to enjoy that. So trust in your covenant wife. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. The word there that starts with gimel is gimelatu. And that is this idea of doing, doing good. She does good. This is what she does. So the wife of valor, she's valuable. Her husband safely trusts her. And she does him good. And so we talked about the importance of knowing the difference between good and evil, being a philosopher, and knowing what is good and how to get it, and then applying it so you are working, doing Verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. This is, uh, starts with Daleth, Darsha. This is to be curious, inquiring, investigating, researching. The seeking here is not simply a grabbing hold of the thing on the shelf. It's she looks into it. So this is about looking into good quality material. And so she considers product to use, to refine, to make, and then when she gets good product, she puts her hands to work. And so there is this usefulness of looking into work deeply to find something worth doing, and then chasing it down. Verse 14, she is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. And so the hey being the first letter here, she is. She is like the merchant ship. So this idea of her being an effective dominion worker, she makes good trades. She exchanges things and figures out how to bring home resources to the family. So the exchanging, the looking high and low, the searching near and far to find ways to get useful things. So there is a call to industry here. And remember, not only the woman is called to be industrious, but we've seen also the man, Proverbs 27, verses 23 to 27, talks about Even if you're in high office, don't forget to take care of your flock. You look for your own estate being in good order. And so men and women together are called to be industrious. And this is an idea that there is a call to be a power couple. You know, the first power couple, Adam and Eve. This idea, they were prophet, priest, king. And so prophetess, priestess, queen, this need to deal with things. God gave power. He gave dominion. And so there's this call to do work, to be useful together. And so you build each other up and you spur each other on. Verse 15. She also rises while it is yet night and provides prey, food, prey, for her household and a quota portion for her maidservants. So remember, the rising while it's night is supposed to sort of remind of the lioness. The word food is really prey there. And so this idea of rising up at night so she gets up to work she gets up early to work and this getting of prey and bringing it home so hunting and warfare analogies used right we have the spoil the man's not going to lack spoil because his wife is there to do dominion work with him and he's not going to lack prey because she's there to do work with him and so that makes so that she's able to have maidservants. These maidservants, because she's risen up early to help to prepare things and get things, this is not about luxuriant living, waiting upon people to bring her bonbons on the couch. This is about her having people work for her so she can get more work done. So she is not seeking to have wealth in order to avoid work. She's seeking to have wealth to do more work. 16. She considers a field and buys it. 
From her prophets she plants a vineyard. So the considering is the first word. It's um, zoma or zama. Zama. And so this uh, zama is to plan, to give careful thought. She's, she's coming up with a business plan and she's looking into a field to buy, to establish an agricultural operation on. Right? That's, that's not just buying a piece of real estate. It's establishing a business plan. And so she does that and she does it with the profits that she has obtained through her industry that has already been talked much about. And so she takes the resources that are given to her by her husband and she works with them well and she seeks to preserve extra and put it to work to develop profits and she uses her time to do that. And that enables her to be able to add to the estate. This extraordinary management of the estate is the far along work. The early stuff is like the distaff. The early stuff is looking for flax and wool. These are the things that are early on. It's the small things that gradually work together. And this work of getting a little bit of capital together, of getting a little bit of resources together, the hardest part is the beginning. It's so much harder to make a little bit of money than it is to make a moderate amount of money or a large amount. Once you get the small amount and you put it to work and you get it to do something and you get a return, there is this building, there's this positive virtuous cycle that tends to happen. And so the initial steps of getting rolling are so hard because it looks like the rewards are so small. It looks like it's not worth the return. And so the grinding it out, the hardest part of any business endeavor, the hardest part of any investment plan is to get traction going. And once the traction happens and there's this building, there's a snowball type of effect and the ability to add on is so much easier. The momentum makes it easier. And so the gradual accumulating of wealth by work, diligence, saving, industry, investment, that is the way that tends towards the development of a safely guarded estate building process. So you can leave an inheritance to your children and your children's children. Verse 17, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. The word there that starts out is to gird. Hagera. And so this girding up, to gird up is to make yourself ready to work, and to strengthen the arms is to prepare yourself to be able to work. So the girding up is like right when it's time to do the work. The strengthening of the arms is sort of like working out to be ready. So there's the training beforehand, and there's the willingness to work. At the moment she's ready, and at the moment she's ready in part because she's made herself ready by practice, by training, by working out. And so this tendency to work helps you to be able to, at the moment, choose to work. Verse 18. She perceives, she tastes, that her trading profit is good. And her lamp does not go out by night. So she tastes the goodness of the work, and she tastes the goodness of the fruit of her work. She has resources to make her home light up, which, that would be an expensive thing. One of the things about the temple, you know, was that it was supposed to have a light on at the night. And that was a type of sacrifice. Sacrifices are not typically, the ones that God instituted, were not particularly cheap. Right? He required meat to be sacrificed in many cases. And that was expensive. And so having ongoing oil supply to burn is an expression of prosperity. And remember, the point here is not that she wakes up early to work and then keeps burning the midnight oil in the sense of working. She burns the midnight oil for safety, security, enjoyment, and so there's this idea of the lighthouse, the, the light in the darkness. But the idea is not that she's rising early and working late. She is rising early and the beloved of God have sleep. And so there is this rising to work and this ability to sleep at night in security with prosperity with a testimony of the home. The home is a little city on a hill. It is a lamp that is not covered. Now, Proverbs 24, verses 3-4 say, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And so, this woman, a woman of valor, a wise woman, an industrious woman, a woman who is concerned to see a home as a priestess that's beautified, this is a house filled with light. Go to page 3, verse 19. She stretches out her hands to the distaff 
and her hand holds the spindle. Okay, so the word here is uh, yada. And what we have is, this is the forearm. It's the idea of like reaching out the hands to do work. So what does she do with her forearm? She reaches them out to find work to do. And so we have here little tasks, the making of thread. And this relates to sort of the whole supply chain that we're going to see. If you look at Proverbs 27 and the, the idea of the fields being tended and the man being concerned for those, and then you look at this, Proverbs 27 plus what Proverbs 31 has in terms of all the things about clothing, you have a complete supply chain for providing all of the types of clothing that are being talked about. And so this work is a concern to see everything done that's necessary to allow industry to be successful. She extends her arms to be able to do work. And in verse 20, she extends her hand to the poor. And that word here, that's the first word, is kepha, or kepa. It's kepa. And so this idea of the extending out of the hand, the palm, it's the extending of the right hand. It's greeting the poor. And so this has to do with the ability to give charity. Industry allows charity. Where there is no industry, there is no charity. Where there is no industry, there is no charity. And so because she puts her arms to the work, she therefore is able to extend her hand to the poor and give them hospitality and greeting. And then she also takes her forearm and she reaches out to the needy to lift them. So there's the greeting and the lifting up. Verse 21, She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. So the, the Hebrew here it starts out with no. The word is just lo, which is no. And the next word is fear. So the idea is there's no fear. What is she? She's not afraid of anything except for God. She's not afraid of anything except for God. So she's not afraid of snow. She's not afraid of the winter. She's not afraid of hardship. She's not afraid of cold. She's not afraid of a time that reduces productivity because her household is prepared. They have wool that's good quality, that's worth dying. So you have warm clothing that's there and ready so that in this time when things are difficult, she is ready. Her household is ready. She works hard. She's prepared. She trusts God. Verse 22, she makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. And the purple implies, again, a quality wool. And so we have the word here that starts is the word for a covering or a tapestry. Marbadim. Now, this word um, points to the idea of beauty. So we have... Whereas before, there's sort of dignified clothing for work, a dignified clothing that is prepared and useful and protects the body. Now there's a pointing to beauty, so beautification. Well-made, dignity-oriented clothing. This is elegant and honorable economy. Elegant and honorable economy. Page 4. Verse 23. We talked about this. But I kept the longer notes here because this is so important. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land. Noda is the word. Known. So known is her husband in the gates. Known is her husband in the gates. He has enough time to be able to do useful work in public service because the estate is well put together and he has resources to be able to do that. And that is because he can rely upon her good management. The home is well ordered in large part because of their teamwork. He's not just doing it on his own as a superman and she's not just doing it all on her own as a superwoman. They are working together. The completeness of man and woman together, working Remember, the gates are the place of public business, the place of civil and ecclesiastical rule, where courts are. 
This is the elders of the land, not just some town, not just the smallest local county. This is the idea of a broader court. So the man is known amongst not just the elders of the town, this is the elders of the land. And so this work allows for not simply becoming minimally prominent, minimally qualified. This is a man, because of the work of his wife, he's able to excel. He's able to rise. He's able to be known amongst those who are high-level rulers. This is perhaps the tribal council or even the 70. Mutual honoring and displays of honor allow the home to be a place of honor. And as a result, hospitality and work simply project out that honor. So women, if you want your man to be able to be one who is known in the gates, who sits among the elders of the land, there are four qualifications of an officer's wife that are given for us in 1 Timothy 3.11. Reverence or piety. It's a serious-mindedness about the idea of duty. Piety is sort of taking your duty out of the edges of your domain. Everything under your jurisdiction, you concern, you have a concern to apply the word of God to that zone. There is no place where you say, no, I don't want to put the word of God here. It's every inch, every square inch of that territory. Your concern is to apply the word of God to it. Not a malicious gossip. Officers' wives get access to information about people's lives. They are involved in the process of counseling. They are counselors to those officers. They are the chief counselor to those officers. And if they cannot be relied upon to deal with information in discretion, then the result will be that they will be routers of information that destroys everything. If there is pernicious gossip from somebody who has access to the secrets and the discreet matters of other people's lives, it tears down everything. It corrodes the entire relationship network and it destroys trust. Nephalius, to be temperate, sober-minded, serious-minded. The idea here is being focused on the goal of the glory of God, being mission-oriented. Rather than being escapist, or rather than being unfocused, there's a serious-minded mission orientation. So, there's a sense of duty, that's piety. There's the care with information. There is the serious-mindedness about the mission. So she can be a good helper to the husband. And then, she must believe all things. She must believe the whole Reformed religion. She must, without reservation, believe the covenant of uniformity so that she can throw herself into the work with her man. So women, I encourage you to make sure that you know what is the thing that distinguishes the Reformed faith from lower points or from false religions. We have a shorter catechism and church covenant that are meant for the standards for covenant coming to the Lord's table. The larger catechism and confession are meant to have the meat. Shorter catechism and the covenant are milk the larger catechism and the confession are meat. And for the order, the law order of operation, there is a directory of worship and a form of government. And these allow us to function, to fulfill the purposes of a church, trying to order the information that is present in the scriptures about the functions of the church, to teach doctrine, to maintain right worship, and to see right government so that the rule of Christ is not profaned in the land. And so to know these things, these are not arcane tools. These are not things unworthy of being read. They are short documents about order and information. And these things are life. If you know the doctrine, you possess God. And if these doctrines aren't true, then you need to get us to repent and to confess the truth. 
If you're not sure, then what you want to do is you want to know if it's true. Chase it down. There is no more noble task than to seek to know the truth. And these are the highways that have been prepared for you by your forebearers in the faith to make it so you can quickly arrive at the point of maturity that the church has reached to. Be qualified to be an officer's wife. What a delight it would be if you're some young woman and you enter immediately into marriage and at that very moment you are already qualified to be an officer's wife so that you are simply a spur to your man. Men, what a delight it would be for you to be a mature leader at the beginning of your marriage, to be able to lead your wife and to have her know that she is a mature, stable man. And what if both of you are? What if both of you are just waiting to be at the age where you can properly serve and you're assisting? You are being held back, ready to go. You could just charge out of the gate. Do you want to go far? Do you want to go fast? Or would you prefer to meander through life, getting as far as you manage to plot before the Lord strikes you dead? I would rather be like Paul and strive toward the goal. I encourage you with zeal to strive toward the goal. Women, be qualified to be officer's wife. Men, be qualified to be officers. Verse 24. Page 5. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. By the days of small beginning, where she was making yarn, she's making clothing for herself, for her household, have been replaced now with scale. She makes enough that she sells them. She makes enough that she has to sell to merchants. She makes enough that she sells them wholesale. This is the process of scaling. Think back to verse 19 with the distaff. Verse 23 with the tapestry for herself. In solving problems for yourself, women, you do work at small scale and you learn to solve problems that invariably other people will have. And as you learn to solve problems for yourself and help others with them, oftentimes skill is recognized and many times it begins to come with offers of money. 25. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. Translation that I think is a little bit more delightful. She laughs at the days to come. Like the, you know, she's not looking for the next headline to be afraid of. She is. She looks at the headlines that are frightening and laughs because they are just like any enemy of God, something that God is going to overcome. And we don't. We don't waste our time worrying about whichever things are going to come down the pike. Right? You just do your duty. You hold down your post, and if the enemy comes, they come. And you fight them. And then, when one of us chases a thousand, we laugh and go, remember that time? That was grand, wasn't it? And so we do the thing. Do your duty. Don't be always staring off in the distance and faraway lands and all the things that are above and beyond. Do your duty. Women, you are called to focus on your homes. And you can think it's a small thing. But it is the home that makes generations. And it is the home where wealth is built. And it is the home where kings have queens. And it is the home where kings draw their resources to be able to lead. Where men are fit to be known amongst the elders of the land. It is the home where the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world of the one in the cradle. Where future generations yet unborn are affected by the soul that you have molded. It is the home where many great and noble and important works are done. Strength and honor 
or her clothing. And she shall rejoice in time to come. She laughs at the coming days. I hear strength and honor every time I can't help but think about the movie Gladiator. Strength and honor. And that's, that's the vision we have. We have this, this, these men, we think about strength and honor, you think about these men who are powerful to slay barbarian armies. We're in greaves, obviously. And in addition to that, they are very concerned about hierarchy and order, acknowledging authority. And they're concerned to be able to do the task and to be able to accomplish work and to take risk, and so they're able to laugh at it. They have this ability to take risk. And this isn't a bunch of stomach-churning risk analysis. This is laughing at the future. Now, the display of strength, you might think, that doesn't sound particularly feminine. Your conception of femininity is wrong. Your conception of femininity is wrong. I am not trying to blur the distinction between man and woman. A woman is called to be strong. Strength and honor are her clothing. Graceful movement requires strength. Beautiful movement requires self-control. Modest movement, so that when you move, so you don't display what ought not to be displayed, requires an awareness of the body. Strong motion is the ideal of the woman of God. A physical strength is better than weakness. She displays honor. Honor is dignity, majesty, splendor, glory. Her adornment is fitting to honorable station. She is not concerned to always look young. She is concerned to look dignified. She is not ashamed of gray hair. It is a crown of glory. She is not ashamed to wear modest apparel. It brings dignity to her. It draws attention to her face. It does not draw attention to the body. It makes it so that she is treated as a human being who has a position of honor. In her display of strength, She seeks to work quickly with grace of motion and competence of motion. Knowing how to do a menial task should be viewed as a mark of industry and an honor. The swiftness to do work is something that is honorable. And young men and women, I encourage you, whenever you see the gray-haired, whenever you see the old doing some work, do everything in your power apart from dishonoring them to take the work over or to do it. Learn that skill. Have that habit of swift motion to do work, to display strength, and to display honor. You give honor when you seek to serve. So the young, young men, your glory is your strength. Put it to work. Do work. Look for opportunities to use it. Young women, Seek to be maid servants to the older women. And seek to serve them and to get them to give you wisdom. Seek for them to be Titus two women who would teach you and train you up and seek to offer them something useful. We have this absurd mentality that the people who have wisdom to teach need to cajole and coddle students into hearing their words. And students ought to clamor for wisdom. They ought to be offering value to get older women and older men to teach them. Strength and honor are manifested in that. You know, you know how you develop strength? You develop strength by working. And as you work and develop strength, you gain competence. And as you gain competence of motion and smoothness of accomplishment, an effortless accomplishment. There is an honor and dignity and grace that is displayed. Strength and honor are her clothing. She has this 
as a mature woman because she did it as a young woman. And she shall rejoice in time to come. She will laugh at the time to come. She laughs at the risk and she rejoices in the accomplishment. Now, look at point 39 and point 40. There's a couple of interesting verses. The Hebrew is almost exactly the same except for the, the, the names. And what you have is Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance and then we also have Joseph was beautiful in form and appearance and make it handsome because he's a man. But it's the same. This is it. And so we have this idea of the beauty of form and appearance. And these are going to be brought up again as we get to the end of this chapter. It's going to talk about charm and beauty. What's being talked about there is form and appearance. Beauty of form has to do with the ability to speak, to carry yourself, to do things. It's how you present yourself. It's your carriage. It's, it's your, your way that you are. That you carry yourself. And then there is appearance, which part of it's simply natural. The same is true of form, right? Some people move more gracefully, more easily, have more strength more easily. But both of these are how has God designed us. But there's also the taking of the thing and putting it to use and the improvement of it. And so you can improve form by practice, by training, by cultivation. And you can improve appearance by training and cultivation and use. So this idea that there is a concern for honor. If you apply your strength and you carry yourself so as to have beauty of form, those things gain honor. Being honorable is about that work, that usefulness, and also about how you carry yourself. It is a spiritual thing to be strong and useful. And it is a spiritual thing to have good carriage, to carry yourself properly, to be exemplary in the way you carry your person. And so those things are not emphasized. Posture, eye contact, the ability to speak clearly and concisely, to not look for every opportunity to give an excuse, but to own things. These types of behaviors are beauty of form, And so it is important, if we want to bring honor to the name of Jesus Christ, that we learn beauty of form. So the Word of God explains what our particular roles are in our stations in life. as Children, young men, young women, older women, older men, officers, what have you, heads of house, queens of the house, all of these things. We are called to know what our place is. And that's the only thing, that's the kind of thing you'd only hear from a Disney villain. Like, know your place. Yeah, know your place. Like, know your place. What is your place? If you don't know your place, guess what? You're arrogant. Right? If you don't know your place, you're arrogant. Because you're just going to walk around not thinking about boundaries and honor that you owe to people. Honor doesn't just like pour out of the heart of man without any effort. We don't live in a culture where we just absorb it. It requires us to intentionally consider these things. And if you don't have precepts in your mind to define your place and to define how you deal with people, you will not have beauty of form. You will not be clothed in honor. Now, the carriage of a virtuous woman, a woman of valor, brings reputation and joy. There is nothing like a woman of valor to bring brightness to a room. You can put all the men of valor you want in a room. It's not going to be as bright as a room with one woman of valor. There is a life-giving power to the positive presence of women. And there is a death-creating power to the negative presence of women. The power to alter the behavior of males is dramatic. To encourage or discourage, to spur on or to tear down, it is a powerful thing. Women have a special power to make a home a joy or to make it a prison. 
So women, make your homes a joy. Now Proverbs 31, sorry, Proverbs 30, verses 29 to 31, teach us about honor or majesty. And these principles apply to man, but they also apply it to woman. There are three things which are majestic in pace, yes, four which are stately in walk. Majesty and stateliness. Do you see how those relate to honor? Majesty and stateliness. Verse 30. A lion, which is mighty among beasts and does not turn away from any, a greyhound, a male goat also, and a king whose troops are with him. Okay, so strength increases from work. And honor increases from strength, right, the mighty lion. From boldness, he doesn't turn away from any. From speed, that's what greyhounds are known for. For competency or agility, deftness of motion or doing things. The male goat, skipping along, dealing with rocks. Just laughing at you as it's going from rock to rock to rock. And a king with unified, competent followers. Unified, competent followers. Women, you are the principal follower of your husband you have more power to make him look competent or incompetent than anybody else. You can make his command look unified or disunified. You can make it look like winners or losers follow him. And you can uniquely increase the number of followers. So, there is a special power there. Page 6. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. I'm trying to pretend like I'm not like giddy with geekiness right now. She opens her mouth with wisdom. So this is Hokmah. Remember that from the very beginning? This is wisdom. Hokmah, the knowledge of the good and the means to the good. And then, the law of kindness. This is Torah Hesed. This is the law of mercy, the law of grace. This is the commandments of the covenant of grace. Or you, you hear that and you go, and the law of kindness is on her mouth. And you think of like some mother being like, now be nice, children. Women, this is, if you want a text that says you're allowed to talk about and teach theology, this is it. Anybody else tells you, you know, you're only supposed to talk about some limited number of whatevers, and you even in private discipleship. No, 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 no. This is hokmah. This is wisdom. And this is the law order of the covenant of grace. This is Torah has said. Her mouth is used to communicate the wisdom of the Lord God Almighty and to explain the order of the covenant of grace. That is what she puts her mouth to. She pours out wisdom and she doesn't waste the time pouring out foolishness. She doesn't use idle words. She's not silent without good cause. She looks for opportunity to speak words of wisdom and to explain the law order of the covenant of grace. Now, do you want a place that summarizes those things excellently so that you can effectively communicate that to other people and disciple them, like younger women, for example, or your own children, or you and your husband talking to Apollos. The Shorter Catechism, question 1 through 38, gives you the message of mercy. Questions 39 through 81 teaches you about the commandments, the law. And questions 82 to 107 teaches you about the outward and ordinary means of grace, the mysteries, the covenant of grace administrative order, so that that law of the covenant of grace is explained. These are these tools, word, sacrament, prayer. These are the tools whereby the blessing of heaven is called down and bestowed upon men to know about the word of God and its utility to have a good word for the proper moment. 
to know which ordinance to use when and where, to be able to instruct others to come and seek baptism, to tell them what it is, and to tell them about the importance of the covenant feast, to show them how to properly pray. These things are the administrative order of the covenant of grace. And if you understand them, women, you can powerfully put your lips to service in communicating these doctrines that are revealed from the mind of God. If you don't know well, if you haven't, when I just said this, questions 1 through 38 is the gospel, question 39 through 81 is the law, 82 to 107, if you didn't know that that was the outward and ordinary means of grace, you haven't thought a lot about the shorter catechism then. Because I've said that dozens of times from this pulpit, and it's the basic order that the, it itself is organized with. It starts out and it says, what's the purpose of life? right? And then it goes to, what's the rule to direct us? Scripture. Okay, and what do the scriptures principally teach? Well, we're supposed to know about God and the duty that God requires of us. And that break is right when the law starts. 39. And so it's broken into those pieces. And you complete the Ten Commandments, and it's real obvious you get the word sacrament prayer. Okay, so if you're familiar with that, then it's a tool that you can use. It's something you've spent some time meditating on. And so you begin to look for things. You look for patterns of sound words. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And on her tongue is the law of mercy. The mouth is the overflow of the heart. Store up in your heart the Word of God, the organized collection that has been done by the church to take these doctrines, and you will find there's a structure to your soul that manufactures words worth hearing. They will come out of your mouth and they will just be the product of your heart. Get wisdom. And you will pump out wisdom. This is what the woman of valor has. She has wisdom. And as a result, she's able to make decisions quickly because she knows what's good and she knows how to get what's good. Decisiveness comes from great stupidity or insight. Let's go for insight. 27. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She is overseeing, and she doesn't say, I'm managing things as an excuse to not do anything. She's overseeing without idleness. This is diligent care, diligent oversight. She oversees the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She is the executive officer. 1 Timothy chapter 5 Verse 14 has a very similar statement. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. That manage the house, oiko despotain. Right? Despotain. That's where we get the word despot. Right? This is what is a despot? A despot is a civil ruler who treats the state, the, the nation, like it's his own household. Do you see how that could create some problems for respecting civil liberties? If you treat everything like it's yours. But guess what? In your household, it is. The management of a house is supposed to be a centralized, efficient administration. The state and the church are supposed to be decentralized and inefficient to avoid the abuse of power. The household is centralized and efficient. And the wife is a despot of the household. She rules as the queen and she is to manage it. She oversees without being negligent. Her authority is to serve. So she's not just trying to abuse it. She's not trying to be ridiculous. She's not trying to be annoying. She's trying to be effective. She looks for danger and for opportunity to do good work with the people and resources under her power. The bread of idleness deadens and it darkens the soul. It breeds a love of pleasure and a love of consumption. Production and usefulness are far more joyful 
and far more useful, they enliven and they enlighten. Be productive. Be useful. Page 7. Verse 28. Her children, and the word is literally sons, but it's used to represent the children as a whole. But so, sons, this applies to you. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also rises and he praises her. Okay. Rise up. Rise up. Camus. This word has an interesting appearance in Leviticus 19.32, which is what is being referenced. Here is what is being referenced. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. Think about this. God gives us the example of you stand up when the word of God is being read. Right? That's given to us in Nehemiah. You're standing to honor the Lord when the word of God is read. And one of the ways you honor the Lord is by standing for the gray hairs when they enter. Now, which is owed more honor? Age or station? Station, right? Because you can be young and you can have an old employee. And the employee owes more honor than the young employer. Right? So, if you rise for the gray hairs, children, should you rise for your mother? You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man. Fear your God. I am the Lord. Now, the woman of valor, her sons rise up. And they also call her blessed. So, think about this. The biblical greetings that we see, one of my favorite examples is the book of Ruth. Because you just see Boaz riding up to his men. And his men in the field call blessing to him, and he blesses them. I can't remember who initiates, but one of the two of them, they just bless. The Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. That's the exchange of greetings that they have. They exchange blessings. So this duty, when you come into the presence of a parent, if this parent is not you know, somebody who's in great wickedness and estranged or whatever, you, you call blessing on them. You rise to honor them. So, this idea that the sons of the woman of valor rise up to honor her, and they call her blessed. They greet her with a blessing. Now, the husband also rises. Why? Is it because he's in a lower station? No. It's a way he honors her. And this is captured in Western civilization, in the Protestant world, with men standing for women. That's where this comes from, is this idea of men standing for women, the idea of, of, of men you know, helping women into a chair, opening a door. These are acts of honor that are meant to honor womanhood. And so this manifestation, the husband also rises for the, man, for the wife, and he praises her. So he's not just calling her blessed, he's calling attention to the good works and good qualities that she has. Do you think that that would make the wife feel cherished, men? To stand and to praise. That's funny. There's a fear that's been bred into men to a certain extent in this culture about these things. And even about praising a wife. Because all of these things, all of the good things of Western civilization, there's been a concerted effort in a long march through the institutions to find overpaid, incompetent academics to figure out ways to make everything good bad. So the, you know, not yet tenured associate professor of gender studies figures out why the patriarchy is oppressing when men open doors. And so acts of service become acts of oppression. Men ignore it. Just take delight in causing offense throughout the land. Let gender studies majors everywhere groan. Cause them to shake 
and shiver at the sight of your toxic masculinity as you stand for women, open doors, and push in chairs. Husbands, rise and praise your wife. So her children show her honor in public and in private. Partly this is because of the training of honor. The woman of valor was not lazy in the training of children. And partly it's because the behavior of the woman of honor naturally draws out honor. It naturally draws out honor. And so there is the training and there is the drawing. Now, in John Milton's Paradise Lost, one of his excellent descriptors of Eve in terms of womanhood is he says that she exemplifies sweet, attractive grace. This idea of the drawing out of good manhood. Women, be that. Draw out by sweet, attractive grace manhood in its good form. You have more power to do that than you know. Men, in terms of praising your wives, compliment your wives honestly. Do not flatter them. And wives, be worthy of complimenting by doing the things in Proverbs 31. Create occasions where it is easy for your man to praise you. Now, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7 to lays out here how that sweet, attractive grace works. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. What about, what about, what about, what about, what about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not in those cases. Okay, but generally speaking, generally speaking, when they're without a word. So yes, all the things. But, generally speaking, when they're without a word. They without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Fear? Fear. Fear? Fear. Wait a minute. If you don't think that there's anything to fear in your man, you are wrong. He has power to bless or curse. He has power to protect or to destroy. And if you just take for granted that all of his power will always be for your good, just not as much as you want, that is a very foolish attitude. Your man is stronger than you, generally speaking and has great power to improve your life or to damage it. There is something to fear there, to respect. There is respect and a concern about the power for harm that can exist there. There should be a respect for the station of authority and a fear of the discipline of God for not respecting the husband's role. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Some people try to super-spiritualize this. The word merely is not present in the Greek. And so they'll say, don't let your adornment be outward. Don't arrange your hair. Don't wear gold. Don't put on fine apparel. Proverbs 31 was totally wrong. The word of God does not contradict itself. The merely is a great interpretation that helps you to avoid a misunderstanding that results in women avoiding a concern for outward apparel. Proverbs 31, woman cares a lot about outward apparel. Don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle, controlled strength, quiet spirit, so it's the control of the speech which is very precious in the sight of God. Controlled strength in a woman and the controlled speech of a woman is very precious in the sight of God. It is very precious. 
well-behaved women don't show up in history much? False. They're the only ones that make history that's worth making. They raise kings, and those kings are not the destroyers of everything good. The well-behaved women are the ones that raise up good kings. The poorly behaved women are the ones that raise up Attila the Hun. Don't be that. That's very memorable history. Not worth going through. Verse 5. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women trusted in God, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. That's a repetition of from verse 1. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, the obedience there is an example of gentleness, calling him Lord, there's an example of quietness. Calling him Lord and obeying him. Calling him Lord and obeying him. These are commended. These are good things. Whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So, we're called to fear legitimate authority and to not be afraid of anything but God. Fearing legitimate authority is a fear of God because God's the one that established the authority. Verse 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of a grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. First, dwell with understanding. There's this need to be thoughtful and careful to be concerned for the well-being of the wife. Secondly, there's a need to give honor to the wife according to her station, to recognize her as queen and to not diminish it, not undermine it. And there is also a need to make sure that the honor is appropriate to her as the weaker vessel, which includes protection, providing and protecting. Serving together as heirs is a reminder of the equality of essence, and the equality is adopted sons. And here's something interesting. The word your is plural. Your prayers. That your prayers be not hindered. The context here is the husband and wife are praying together. And this is a pointer to family worship. The husband and the wife praying together. There's a hindering of prayers that can occur in the sense that God can discipline. But there's also the hindering of prayers in that if you are not in a good relationship, do you think it is more strained and difficult to pray together well? Do you think it's more difficult to find out the needs of your wife and to be able to pray for her with her in a way that's going to make her feel like it's not hypocritical? Does this kind of remind you of James? Be warmed and filled and then not do anything. If you deal badly with your wife and then say, now let's pray, is that going to make your wife just go, ugh, what is this? What kind of hypocritical ugh is this? You see how disgusting that makes the Christian religion? If you treat your wife badly and then piously, with all the appropriate hushed tones, invite her over to pray. So that. Now verse 29. Many daughters have done well, valiantly, but you excel them all. Many is the word, the first word in the Hebrew. Many daughters. And there are many godly women, but every husband should know the virtues of his own wife more than the virtues of any other woman. And more than any other man knows her virtues. Either one of those, problem. Fix it. Some man knows her virtues more than you, fix that. You know some other woman's virtues more than you know her virtues, fix that. Refocus. Win her back. Now, similarly, every man should be able to call himself the chief of sinners. You are more excellent, and I am the chief of sinners. Everyone should be able to say that if they have a wife who doesn't have some sort of divorceable, covenant-breaking type of actions. So, 
that's there. This is drawn out of the husband. This is the praise of the husband. Now verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but as for a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Right? Charm is the expression of personality. It's the power of the control of the voice, the expression and movement. It relates to the beauty of form. Women are called to use the voice to make beauty in song, in prayer, and in ordinary speech. We have positive examples of this throughout the scriptures. First, Bathsheba has given it to us in Proverbs 31. Is this not beautiful? Is Proverbs 31 not beautiful? The Song of Solomon lays out for us a type of beauty of speech for a wife to a husband. You want negative examples? There's lots of negative examples in Proverbs in terms of the harlot, in terms of the shrew. Other positive examples, Sarah, Mary, Elizabeth, Hannah, Abigail. Charm is far less valuable than the fear of God, but charm can be learned. And the fear of God without charm, it's still enough to have joy. It is far better than charm without the fear of God. But the fear of God can be ornamented. It can be beautified. On the other side of that, charm and beauty without the fear of God, it's lipstick on a pig, or as Proverbs would have it, it's a gold ring on the snout of a pig. Now, women are called to be and to move beautifully in modesty and with the inward beauty of the godly. Godly beauty of form includes controlled strength, controlled speech. Beauty of form can be deceptive, but it can also be an ornament for righteousness, holiness, and wisdom. Women, be the best women you can be. Be feminine. Be beautiful in form. Make the gospel be on display in being modest, beautiful, well-adorned, well-behaved, wise women. Make the world see how ugly the world is. Now beauty, beauty of appearance. Beauty is fleeting. It declines. It can be increased for a time. It can be helped with grace in movement. It can be enhanced by physical training, cosmetics, clothing, and the arts of feminine attractive grace. But eventually it will flee. It may never come. And if it doesn't, the fear of God is enough for joy without beauty. A plain wife with the fear of God is happy, and so is a husband with a plain wife who is one who fears the Lord. Unless that husband's a fool. A foolish beauty is a dragon in her home, and she's a dungeon to herself. She's trapped herself, she has to deal with herself. We see sexual power and the use of beauty wrongly in the examples of the harlot earlier on in Proverbs 31. Sorry, not 31, but earlier on in Proverbs. These are women to be avoided. Now, immodesty is designed to magnify and multiply the manipulative power of the beauty of appearance and beauty of form can be put to that. So there is a deep ugliness to the use of immodesty and beauty and beauty of form to draw men to wickedness. It is a very destructive thing and throughout the whole of the scriptures you see that draw powerfully destroying what is good. Men, we have to be on guard for it and we are called in Proverbs 31 to see the value of the woman who fears the Lord. To see it as far more valuable than the woman who is merely physically attractive. And at the same time, women realize the importance of seeking to see things like beauty of form and appearance as things that can be worked upon to add ornamentation to the fear of the Lord. But the most important thing is the fear of the Lord. Men, the most important thing in your wife 
is the fear of the Lord. The one who fears the Lord will be praised. Fear of the Lord is about the content of the mind and the focus of the mind. It controls the words of the mouth of the woman. It controls the actions of her hands, the course of her feet. And praise is both fitting and inevitably coming to the woman who fears the Lord. Proverbs 31, 31. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. She will enjoy, she should enjoy, the fruit of her labor and the honor due to her work. Public honor is fitting to such a woman as this. And I am honored to have my lovely wife as my queen. She is a beauty. And she is charming. But far above that, my Katie fears the Lord. And I have been ever grateful for the blessing that you've given me the great honor to be my queen. Now, Ephesians 5 and Titus 2 are texts we've already gone over. And they, in conjunction with the other texts here, are the key texts for women to meditate upon. I have sought to diligently pull together for you key texts for meditation, for godly womanhood. And so I encourage you, having laid that out, to not make waste of that work, but learn these texts, store them up, Older women, know what you are to be and what you are to teach. Younger women, seek to draw that out from the scriptures and from the older women. Do not make them chase you down. Instead, make it easy for the older women to teach you. Seek to bless them and serve them that you might draw out wisdom from them. Let us see a covenant community that exemplifies beauty and charm, but most importantly, the fear of the Lord. Comments, questions, objections from voting members and those with speaking rights.